Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hey, everybody. It's Wednesday night, and after a much-needed summer break at school, I mean, Friends and Fiction is back in session, and we are so glad to be back with you. We're raring to kick off an exciting fall season tonight with two amazing guests. So let's get going. I'm Mary Kay Andrews. I'm Patty Callahan-Henry. I'm Christy Woodson-Harvey. I'm Kristen Harmel. And this is Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support indie bookstores, authors, and librarians. Tonight, we have cooked up a sizzling hot show with best-selling authors Karen Slaughter and Chris Swan, whose brand new thrillers, Girl Forgotten for Karen and Chris's Never Go Home, feature a couple of real badass babes. (laughs) And, you know, as though that's not enough, we've got an exciting sneak peek at the cover for somebody's brand new upcoming novel. Who, who, who? So exciting. <laughs> but first, did you know that here we've been talking about it, but you might have forgotten over the break that we at Friends and Fiction are currently reading The Summer Place by Jennifer Weiner in our Behind the Book Premium Club on Fable, the app. We'll dive deep into the themes and characters, and I've been leading the discussion and sharing my moments and some thoughts about some of the scenes. But all you have to do to read along with us is download the Fable app and join our premium club. It is full of behind the scenes info you won't get anywhere else. And it's just $5 a month to join. So visit fable.co, C-O, backslash, friends and fiction to sign up today. Yeah. And speaking of Fable, we recently ran a giveaway encouraging you to sign up for Fable. Fable. I can't, it's like a tongue twister tonight. Tonight we have a winner to announce. So congratulations. Oh, I should have Patty do a drum roll. I, I've missed these yeah. drum rolls. Yeah. Drum roll, please, Patty. Excellent. Excellent as usual. Congratulations. <laughs> congratulations to Deborah Myers from Randallstown, Maryland. Deborah will receive a Friends in Fiction tote bag brimming with eight books from the four of us. So thank you so much to everyone who entered. And remember to keep signing up for Fable. We have lots more surprises in store. It's lots of fun. And it's a great immersive reading experience. And don't forget, as you know, we continue to encourage you to support your independent booksellers when and where you can. And one way you can do that is to visit our own friendsandfictionbookshop.org page, where you can find Karen's books and Chris's books and books by the four of us and all of our guests at a discount. So also each week, we're going to be giving you a chance to ask us anything. We've been doing that for the past couple of months now. So if you have a question you'd like the four of us to answer or a topic you would like us to discuss, we are all ears. In fact, feel free to drop questions in the comments now for future weeks. We want to hear from you. But as we enter a new season of our show, and as many of us are in the midst of back-to-school excitement, this question from Jennifer Dawn grabbed our attention. What is your favorite season and why? 
Um, so mine is fall because in Florida, it is 11 billion degrees all summer long. <laughs> and by September, you're ready to tear your hair out of your head and your skin off your body. Um, and then something magical happens. The temperature hurricane season. <laughs> hurricane season. And then you don't have to worry about your hair and your skin because your house is falling down around you. <laughs> no, um, it, no the, the weather starts to get much nicer. Um, and then fall's just magical. You're excited about the holidays coming. You're excited about Thanksgiving. I, I, I just really like fall in Florida. So that's mine. I, you know, I like each season for its reasons, but if I'm being forced to pick a favorite, it's spring. And for a couple of reasons, one, my birthday is on the first day of spring, but also I feel like that, that when spring comes there, it feels so hopeful. It's yeah. like, Everything that you look dead isn't, and everything bursts forth. And here in the South, the magnolia and the tulips and the crocus and, the, and everything pops out at once. And it, it feels hopeful. I like yeah. it a lot. Well, if you kept up with your parade reading, we are doing our parade <laughs> problem. Um, I wrote a love letter to summer because uh, it is definitely my favorite season. I'm like Patty though. I do. I love all four seasons. I love living in North Carolina because we really most years get all four seasons. You know, we, I love those transitions in between, but I just love summer. I love Will being home from school and being off schedule and being at the beach. And I just love everything about it. And I'm so sad for school to start next week, Aww. but it's okay. There are good things about fall too. And I love back to school shopping, like at, like for school supplies, like very specifically, like oh, the pencils and the notebooks. I love that. I love that. So, I want to do it even though I don't have a kid to go back to school anymore. Like, Oh, yeah. I, you 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 have to. I mean, it's just like part of it. And as writers, see, we can get pens and notebooks. And notebooks, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's easing my um, summer's over slump to know that I get to go mm -hmm. do school shopping this week. So that'll be good. Well, my favorite season is not summer <laughs> and no. it's not winter because I'm a Florida girl and I don't like the cold. So technically my favorite season is spring for all the reasons that Patty said. I'll, I'll, I'll pick winter, but only if I can be in Florida in February. Okay. Yeah. Deal. Fair. Yeah. Fair. You can come down. Like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we should be called the Four Seasons now. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we're just making the rounds of all the '60s bands: the Fab yeah, Four, the Four Seasons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Without further ado, now for tonight's guests, Karen Slaughter. First off, is a New York Times best-selling author of more than 20 novels, including Pretty Girls, The Good Daughter, Pieces of Her, Cop Town, and The Grant County, and the Will Kent and the Will Trent books. Her novels have been published in 120 countries with more than 35 million copies sold worldwide. Wow. I said that slow because it's kind wow. of unbelievable. Karen was nominated for a prestigious Edgar Award for her novel Cop Town, which Chris was telling us offstage is one of his favorites. And another of her standalone novels, Pieces of Her, was made into a number one Netflix original series starring one of my favorites, Tony Collette. Yeah, Tom and I finished binging it last night. It was amazing. Awesome. I can't wait. Karen, Karen is also the founder of the Save the Libraries Project, which is a nonprofit organization that works to support libraries and has raised more than $300,000 for the DeKalb County Library Foundation. 
She lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Her new novel, Girl Forgotten, is a Book of the Month Club selection, and it'll be out this coming Tuesday, August 23rd. So we are especially excited to have Karen with us tonight for a special pre-pub chat before she heads out on tour. Sean, can you bring Karen in? Welcome, Karen. We're so excited. Hi, Karen. So excited to have you here to tonight to allow us to fan the flames of excitement for Grill Forgotten. Grill Forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> I'm This is one of my favorites. It was so fantastic. Can't recommend it enough. Well, I have to say I gobbled down Grill Forgotten like a slab of prime USDA medium rare steak. Now, before we get to the meat of the searing questions, we, wait, wait, wait. I almost forgot my other prop. Before we come up with our searing questions, can you tell us what Grill Forgotten is really is about? And then what's it really about? <laughs> Well, I forgot was actually, um, I was wondering why you were wearing a chef's jacket, but I thought you were just trying like some cultural <laughs> appropriation there. Can you see my name? Oh, there it is. Yeah. Um, excellent. <laughs> nice close up. Uh, glad you're wearing a bra tonight. <laughs> so, um, grill Forgotten is about um, this Weber grill. I, spoiler alert. <laughs> That was left out on a deck, and um, you know, fortunately, there was a small fire. And you know how, like, all the grease and fat get in there? So that just caught on fire, and then a baby died. <laughs> Thank God it wasn't a cat. Thank God. Oh, no, of course not. I'm not a freaking monster. <laughs> so, that's okay. What's it, what's it really, girl, forgotten about? <laughs> oh, girl, forgotten. Oh, yeah. okay. God, I wasn't Rather. prepared for that. Um, <laughs> well, it's about murder. It's about five hundred pages, to be honest. Um, you know, it's kind—it's not really a sequel to Pieces of Her, but it does have some of the same characters. Um, mostly, it was me wanting to do an awesome '80s mixtape of music, and I build the story around that. You know, I love the Go Go's. Put some Blondie in there. Actually met Blondie in ALA. I, I bet you gals have some stories about meeting some uh, really famous people at different book events and being kind of shocked. Uh, I've got a great picture of me and Josh Jackson with Dr. Ruth, who's looking at us both like, who the <laughs> fuck are these girls? Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, but that has nothing to do with the book. Um, you can tell I haven't read it in a while. Um, but it starts out with a young girl named Emily Vaughn. And obviously, since she's in the first chapter of one of my books, things don't turn out well for her. Uh, but she's been canceled in high school. And people think that being canceled is like a new thing with the Internet. But any girl who survived high school knows that girls cancel other girls all the freaking time. And yeah. it's horrible. And so that was what I started from was this question of what happens to this girl who gets canceled and. You know, she fights back, but uh, again, first chapter thing. So you'll have to read it to see. Oh, so exciting. 
So you introduced Andrea, the protagonist of this book, in your 2018 pieces of her, like you just mentioned. But could you talk about Andrea's character arc? Because she goes from this 30-year-old kind of hot mess cooking on the grill in pieces (laughs) of her, and then she goes to this kind of badass newbie federal marshal in this new book. Can you talk a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean, in the parlance, I'd say she goes from rare to well done. (laughs) Absolutely. <laughs> as we say in the grill business. Uh, you know, she so with pieces of her, it was like I always write about really strong women. <laughs> and I wanted to talk about how women get strong. And so I thought, oh, hey, a violent oh. murder ought to do that. I mean, that's what happened. I know that's Mary Kay's story. Um, and so I had her go through all this horrible shit and uh, some of you who are mothers and others who are motherfuckers will understand this. But, you know, Laura, her mom says, I want you to grow up. I want you to be an adult. And then Andrea finally does it. And Laura says, oh, no, not that way. I don't want you to do this. Wow. Uh, and what Andrea does is she becomes a U.S. Marshal. And this was really my way of learning more about the marshals, because what they do is really cool. They're kind of mm-hmm. like the Swiss Army knives of law, uh, federal law enforcement. <laughs> And, you know, they like they they guarded the vaccines when they were being delivered and they investigate a murder if it happens in Antarctica. And one of the stories I heard was really fascinating because they do asset forfeiture. So this marshal had to go get on an oil tanker in the port of Savannah and say to the captain that, you know, these people didn't pay their tax who own this ship. So I'm going to confiscate it. And the captain's like, do you want me to drive it for you? Or <laughs> So yeah, they do all kinds of different things. And we all know fugitive apprehension is a, a big part. Right. Um, and also transportation, because we've all seen Con Air. Um, some of us more than once. I know. I know who you oh, are. Fugitive, too. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I want to and I talked to a female marshal. This is a really hard thing to become a marshal. Because you go through, uh, it's in Brunswick, Georgia, down the the street um, from Savannah, and you go through the regular law enforcement training to become an investigator, but then you stay another few weeks and you just beat the hell out of everybody there, and it's like it's 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 in Brunswick, so it's just horrible and it's tropical. And they fight in sand pits with fleas there. And there's an ambulance standing by. And this girl, this woman who was about my size, but but smaller, which is not hard to do if you stay off cookies. She <laughs> would go like face off a guy who was 6'3 and have to just beat the crap out of him and find a way to take him down. And that to me was really interesting because I don't know about you, but when I talk to women in law enforcement, my first question is, why the hell are you doing this? Um, Not because they can't do it. They do it really well. But the shit they get from other people, right? Their parents Mm -hmm. don't want them to do it. The male cops don't want them there. Uh, Guys don't want to date a woman who can arrest them. You know, so it's a really difficult job to do. Um, And, you know, most of the time it's either they did it because a man told them not to or because they just love it. And it, it was just really fascinating learning so much about the marshals. And that's yeah. that's a, you know, it's a, it's a part of the book. It's not the whole part of the book, but right. you learn, you learn more about the marshals than you ever thought you knew. Did you actually go down to Brunswick to the FLETC? They, uh, Fletzy, Kathy, Fletzy, uh, Mary yeah. Kay. I keep calling you by your, uh, your I don't care. government name. 
Um, <laughs> we tried to twice, but then COVID shut it down. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Because yeah, I would love to have seen it. Um, but like from a golf cart, not like actually yeah. doing it. I used to uh, have a friend who was who, you know, pieced together a living on Br in Brunswick uh, doing freelance writing. And one of the gigs she did also was she would go um, work at Fletzy and they would do like scenarios like bomb threats and, and people would have to pretend to be dead. And she would just go be a, you know, a bit actor. They, you know, they paid a day rate. But anyway, well, enough well. about Fletzy. In this novel, we never actually meet the arch villain Clay Morrow, a.k.a. Nick, a.k.a. Nick was Andrea's imprisoned father, but his chilling presence is foreshadowed from the very beginning. And I was fascinated. There's a good bit about a plot involving cults, but more interestingly, I, I thought was the connection you made between cults and high school cliques. Yeah. Um, and that's such a timely device. What, uh, what did you find so fascinating about cults and you know, I think all of us could all of us could have our own uh, experience with clicks. And and did you learn anything with your research that was a surprise to you? Well, you know, I'm not really surprised by a lot of things that people do because I just expect the worst. Uh, so <laughs> it's more like I'm kind of delighted that people are so horrible because I can write about it. But definitely, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. There is a, a, a line between the clique and the, the cult and the behavior is the same. I mean, it, everywhere you go, you could call anything a cult like your your readers could be a cult or, you, you know, sometimes they're in positive ways and sometimes they're in negative ways. Right. What's really fascinating yeah. to me is like when men get cults, the primary driver is to have sex with all the women. And when women get cults, the primary driver is to have everybody else do chores. Uh, <laughs> that just tells you like the, the, what, what our focus is. Um, but it's true. So Emily's in this group of friends and, you know, she's grown up with them. She's felt like she's a part of them. And like a lot of cults, they feel like everybody else is stupid and they just don't know how great it is to be in this group. Uh, that they're smarter than everybody else, that they know more, that they're they're on the inside and everybody's on the outside. And that's really what cults are about, is thinking that you're right and everybody else is wrong. Uh, and there's a certain arrogance that comes with that. Um, and it, it it's really interesting because a lot of people in cults will say, well, we know we're thinking for ourselves. And it's like, no, you're letting this one person tell you how to think, which I, I've always been fascinated by that. I think, you know, my, maybe it's a Gen X thing. Like we saw a movie of the week about a cult in the same way, like cults are incest. Gen X is totally there. And we have VC Andrews to thank for the incest thing. I don't know where I got I to gotta do a deep dive on movies of the week. You know, like what makes it. <laughs> So terrified aliens, aliens because of V, you know, so all, all of that movie of the week influenced us in, in many ways. Hmm. That would be really fascinating to research. Um, and Karen, you have penned so many amazing books, two wildly successful series, the Grant County series and the Will Trent series. But in between, you've given us standalones like last year's False Witness, The Silent Wife, etc. But it seems like you left plenty of room for further installments of U.S. Marshal Andrea Oliver. Are we going to see more of her? 
You know, we might, and you you guys probably feel this, sometimes a book is more emotionally draining than others. And sometimes yes. the suspense comes from the characters and sometimes it comes from the plot. And so this is a nice break from the emotional expenditure for False Witness, which was a really heavy book, you know, yeah. with dark things happening. So this was a little lighter. Um, <laughs> so, Comparatively. So <laughs> so maybe I don't know. I mean, I didn't think I would do a sequel to Pieces of Her, and I did Girl Forgotten, which is like sort of a sequel. So who knows? There might be more stories for Andrea. It just depends. Yeah, that makes sense. So this is your version of Slaughter Light. Yes. <laughs> wow. But it's also interesting. I think that sometimes yeah. the books that are the most draining for us aren't as as much yeah. for the. Right. Yeah. Like, like th somebody might read witness and not think it's as heavy as what takes a lot out of us. It, it, yeah. it doesn't always equal, but right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That, no, that's such a good point. Mm -hmm. um, so Karen, to switch tracks a little bit, you, you founded the save the libraries project, which of course was established to support libraries and library programs or library programming. So I know we touched on this last time you were on the show, but supporting libraries is a big part of our mission here too. So I would love to ask you about it again. Can you tell us a little bit about Save the Libraries, why it's so important to you to do something like this, and what you see as the current challenges facing libraries? Well, I'll answer that backward because I'm kind of a backward person. Um, <laughs> the biggest challenge right now is censorship. Yeah, I mean, I, I, as someone who doesn't have children and doesn't like children, um, I find them very sticky and selfish. Uh, <laughs> But it's so important. Yeah. yeah, it's the truth, man. Sticky and selfish. Hashtag. Oh. So, you know, libraries are so important, especially for weird kids, which, believe it or not, I was a weird kid. And no. I found myself in the library. And I think if you're a parent who doesn't want your kid to have access to all these books, don't do it. Don't try to parent other people's kids. It's not your business, you know, and if you want to be there when your kid checks out books to make sure you know what they're doing, go for it. But yeah. don't tell other people how to be parents. I mean, that's just like basic parenting. Even I know that, you know, I could probably make a long list of things I have wrong with with the kids I've seen, but the parents don't want to know it. And I know better than to say it. Uh, and I think you should, uh, there you go. I think you should be the same way with library, just hands off, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and the, the people who want to ban books throughout history, I mean, maybe they don't know this because they're not reading history are never the good guys. So I feel really strongly about that. And I'm grateful our librarians are first amendment badasses. I mean, we saw yeah. this back with the Patriot Act. They're willing to go to jail to protect your kids and you should appreciate that and stop running them down. So Save the Libraries, part of our mission is to just give money to libraries. And if they fix the toilet or they paint the walls or they have yep. a children's reading circle, whatever they need to do, you know, we don't really put any kind of, um, I mean, obviously they can't spend it on hookers and tequila, uh, but, <laughs> um, you know, we just want them to do whatever they need to do to keep that place open so that kids will be there and I don't have to see them in public. And so far, <laughs> we've donated about half a million dollars, and That's we continue awesome. to do that. And it's a, it's it's sort of a private foundation. We don't really ask people to send us money. If you want to send money, look at your local library. If your local library is doing really, really well, 
look in the one in the next county over because it's probably not. And just that's how you help people. And I would say, you know, people want to support their own communities, but you don't want to have a no pissing section in your pool. All the other communities feed into that and you need to support them as well because reading is so important. Honestly, it's kept a lot of us out of prison. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. So, so what what would you recommend in our own communities? I mean, I, like call up your like local library and say, what do you need? Or, I mean, can you search for ways to donate to libraries? What would well, your recommendation you be? You can't donate directly, but they'll have a friends of the library or a library foundation that you can donate to. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I give them all my used books. Well, they got a lot of used books and it's sort of like everybody wants to give them beets. You know, no <laughs> one give them cream corn. Just give them money. That's what they need is money. I mean, to get a library science degree is so intensive. It's a master's level course. And these men and women go into libraries and they're making shit. For, for, for the amount of education they have to have. Yeah. And they do it out of love. And here we are beating them up. I mean, we already have run a lot of teachers out of teaching. Uh, you know, why are we doing that to libraries? Yeah, yeah I agree. absolutely. I'm so glad you do that. I, yeah, it's amazing. You know, every time a friend to the library asks for something, you immediately want to say yes, no matter what Without it is. Doubt. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm going to switch back a little bit to the books. So with the dual timelines in at, at our Weber grill, there's like a, there's like a past part of the Weber grill. And then there's, there's a future in, you know, we get to have okay. say what it is, chicken and steak. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Or, or, or like, sometimes you want to put on the veggies. So there is yeah. a dual timeline. In well, you have to, you have to pre preheat the grill too. You can't skip that stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. exactly. Right. Exactly. So in the epilogue, you take us back to a dark time, prom night, 1982. Mm. We've got a pregnant 17-year-old. It's the Reagan administration. There's a lot to unpack in that. Was that time and place a conscious decision? Were you thinking, did you just reimagine a prom? What, what made you pick that year, that night? Well, it was it had a lot to do with Reagan and what was going on and and the promotion of it's like this was around the year of the woman. Right. Which yeah. turned out great for us. Um, that's why we're in charge of half the things in the world now. Um, but, you know, it was it was there's very much. And this is like before intersectional feminism. You know, there was very much the message is for the right kind of woman. And you see that theme over and over again. You know, Emily is the right kind of woman our girl, but then she gets knocked up and she's no longer the good girl. Right. And she's ostracized for that. And, you know, it, it's funny because in high school, everybody's either having sex or wanting to have sex. And the girl who gets caught is the one who gets punished. Right. And you, yeah, you, they don't really, they don't go after. Yeah. But they don't go after the boy because they don't want to ruin his life. So, yeah. you know, thank God all of that has changed. Um, <laughs> I know when I <laughs> There was a girl who was pregnant and she just disappeared. She disappeared for a year and we were no one said her name. And then she came back and she had a baby and, you know, which is unusual because she she was allowed to keep it. Um, she went off to the Jerry Farwell home, actually, for uh, unwed teenagers. Um, and, uh, you know, she it was a hard life for her, really hard. And she was ostracized at school and. 
you know, I was friends with her. Oh, because when she was a nice girl, but also I was kind of weird. So I didn't have a lot of friends. So I'm like, yeah, I'll be friends with the 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 mother. Um, but, you know, it 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 was something I thought I should write about. And, you know, this was before everybody's always thought, oh, well, most women have thought, oh, fuck, we're going to lose Roe v. Wade. Right. Eventually. And men were like, oh, that'll never happen. Um, but I wrote that before it happened and it made it re- seem really different. Like it was more political than I intended it to be, uh, mm-hmm. that this young girl wasn't given a choice, right? Mm-hmm. She was just told by her parents, this is what you're going to do. Um, and you know, we're going to kind of exploit this for the political game that's there. Uh, and you're going to disappear for a little while. And then maybe if you're good and if you're, polite and you're nice will allow you back into society. Yeah. Yeah. So much to Powerful. talk about with, yeah. This, yeah. with this book. Um, but we have, we've been told we have to let you go. Um, so we want to point out a few things. First of all, grill forgotten will be in stores everywhere this coming Tuesday, August 23rd. It's available <laughs> for pre-order right now though. So go ahead and order your copies of girl forgotten tonight. You can even get signed copies through our friends at four different accounts. That's Foxtail Bookshop in Atlanta, The Poison Pen in Scottsdale, Arizona, um, Barnes & Noble, and Books A Million. So act now, grab those autographed copies while they last. And newsflash, if you don't already follow Friends in Fiction on Instagram, do that right now because you can um, be one of the people to win one of five copies of Girl Forgotten. So we will be posting a five copy giveaway just for friends and fiction. Um, and you'll have to follow us and you'll have to follow, God forbid, Karen on um, Instagram. <laughs> There's a lot, lot, a lot, lot. lot. Yes. Yeah. I follow, I follow Buster Pros. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> My own cat. My own cats. Often. It's the whole point of social media, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Well, Karen, before we let you go, we just wanted to know really quickly, I I don't know that this question applies to you maybe as much as some of our other guests, because (laughs) we usually ask what we might be surprised to find on your nightstand. I don't know that anything would really surprise us, but is there anything you've read lately that you've loved? Yes, books. Oh, books. (laughs) Okay. Any books well, that you've read lately that you'd like to recommend? Other than the Home Fuckers, which is Kathy's book that I love. Um, <laughs> this I got. This is not Jennifer Hillier. She's amazing. She's a she's a lovely person, but she's a really terrific writer. She wrote Jar of Hearts, and this is me stretching. This isn't actually where I sleep. Um, this is something I had to do for research for this book because there's a lot of art references and I didn't have yeah, like a way yeah. to talk about art, like the language of it. Um, so, uh, I had, this was 60 freaking dollars. Can you believe that? Um, wow, is it a textbook? Yeah. Oh, look, a freaking wow. baby. Get away from them. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, cause I, I mentioned Hannah Hawk in, in the book who was part of the Dada group. Um, so that, that's what I have on my nightstand that is in the way of reading material. Of course, you know, I don't keep, uh, my grilling implements far from me. <laughs> we would be disappointed if you did. Yeah, we wouldn't, we want, wouldn't want that to happen. Um, do you want to give us a writing tip? Just the tip? Yeah. Just um 
Well, right. That's my tip. And I know it seems like a really glib thing to say, but the hardest part of being a writer is to sit down and write. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, I think the difference between being, uh, it, this is, goes back to art, but they say the difference between being a painter and an artist is an, uh, an artist knows when to stop painting. And I think that you need to know when to stop writing and how to, how to bring something to an end. Um, cause it feels like a lot of people, when they write a book, they work really hard on the beginning and they don't know quite how to end it. And so it just drops off. So you should spend as much time on that ending and getting it right as you do on the beginning. Perfect. And that's just a tip for Karen Slaughter. <laughs> that was, a, and that was a great tip. And Karen, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Um, as always, you're, um, full of surprises. Karen, you're <laughs> awesome. Congratulations on everything. Congratulations. Thank you. Don't forget, everybody, go pre-order those books. Yes. Or Weber Grill. Or, or, <laughs> or both. Yes. We should do a chef's. We'll do a By chef's. Way, Weber Grill is not our sponsor. <laughs> but they yeah. should be. They should they be. be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All I right. prefer the um, green egg, but okay. So we're going to let Karen go because I promised, uh, apparently, she goes to sleep um, as soon as Jeopardy comes on. I don't know. Yeah. It's Jeopardy's late. on. It's late for her. Yeah. Thanks, Karen. Good night, Karen. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Karen. Thank you. Bye. So, switching from chef's hat gears, um, before we bring our next guest on, Patty has a big treat for us tonight. Yay. I do. I am so thrilled to share the cover for the secret book of Floralia with you here first. But before we show you, I want to tell you this because I want you to try and imagine in your mind what you think it looks like. Mm -hmm. Because I had so many ideas for what the cover should look like for a novel about two sisters mm -hmm. who are sent away from London to the countryside during Operation Pied Piper. Here's the scoop. To soothe the little sister Flora, the big sister Hazel makes up a fairy tale world for just the two of them. A land called Whisperwood. Then a year later, when the younger sister goes missing and is assumed to have drowned in the River Thames, Hazel assumes that Flora has gone off to find Whisperwood and disappeared. And she is consumed with guilt. Then 20 years later, a book appears in the London bookshop where Hazel works, and the book is called Christy. Thank you, Mary. Oh, I got like a like stereo drum roll. That was awesome. That was good. <laughs> the book that appears is called Whisperwood. Hazel had never told a soul about their private story world, and yet now it exists in a novel from an American author. How could this be, and what does it mean? So a missing sister, a mysterious fairy tale, the River Thames, and a lost love, all set in 1940 and 1960 England. What do you imagine the cover to look like? Sean, pop it up. Oh, it's so 
pretty. It's beautiful. It looks like such a big book, like such a big, important, like moving, which is exactly what it is. I mean, I've read it. It's amazing. It, the the cover just does it such great justice. I love it. And, and, you know, as you all know, I was just in England and went to where the book is set and y'all, it looks like that. Yeah. So thank you so much. I hope that you will, of course, you can run off right now and pre-order it right this very second or after the show because we get to talk mm-hmm. to Chris Swan. And you can either do it through our Friends in Fiction Summer First Edition Club offered by Booktown or any indie bookstore you love. And I am so excited that you got to see it first. Yay. Yay. Yeah. Love it. Big night. Big night. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. So nice to do that, y'all. That's awesome. Of course. Congratulations, Patty. So gorgeous. I cannot yeah. wait. Yeah. Speaking of big nights, now we've got Christopher Swan and um, we're going to welcome him. Sean, can you bring him in? Is it time to bring him in? No, I have to talk no, about him. We don't care. So, but I, 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 I've got to say though, since you said speaking of big nights, I'm waiting for him to come in wearing like a night's helmet or something. It's like hat night. <laughs> Chris, you so, have 30 seconds to attain. It's a lot of pressure, Kristen. <laughs> he said all things a lot. <laughs> I know. He's, he's like, great. I have nine hats here and none of them are of a night. So <laughs> let me talk about Chris. Chris is a friend. I met him before he even published his first book. Um, I was friends with his dear wife, Kathy, and he is both a novelist and a high school English teacher. For his work, he has been a Townsend Prize finalist long listed for the Southern Book Prize. And this summer he was named the 2022 Georgia Author of the Year in the Detective and Mystery category. Chris earned his PhD. Sorry. Sorry. From Georgia State University. He lives with his wife and two sons in Atlanta, where he is the English department chair at Holy Innocence Episcopal School. His utterly propulsive new novel, Never Go Home, was released this month. So now it's time. Sean, bring Chris in, please. Hi, ladies. <laughs> oh, I yeah. I'll take Harrison yeah. Ford. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Patty, I've always loved you. I knew there's a reason why. Thank you. <laughs> Harrison Ford. Sure. All right, Chris. We are so glad to have a second helping of awesome thriller writers with us tonight. First off, can you tell us what Never Go Home is about and then what it's really about? Sure. Well, it's really about my childhood. No, uh, Never Go Home is a story of Susanna Faulkner. Uh, Susie is the survivor of a home invasion, which tragically left her an orphan along with her older brother, Ethan. Um, and Ethan and Susie reacted to this trauma in very different ways. Her older brother sort of walled himself off uh, emotionally. He has friendships, but they're kind of casual. But on the outside, everything's good with him. He's got a career. He has a house. He has a dog. Uh, Susie's reaction to this trauma is to, as a teenager, decide she's going to find the person who came into her house and killed her parents. And she's going to do unto them what they did unto her. That's sort of the, mm. her operational uh, mandate for herself. Um, and she's just, she is a glorious, hot mess of a character. 
and she is so fun. And I'm going to take this hat off because God, it's going to get hot. <laughs> um, but and I can't compete with Karen Slaughter's pink hat. That was kind of awesome. But no, Su- Susie, is, she is a character who is, uh, what is this book really about? Susie is pretty much the opposite of me. Aside yeah. the, from age and gender or personalities, um, I tend to be diplomatic and avoid conflict. Susie has very little filter and has no problem with conflict or violence if she feels like it's justified. And so everything that I wouldn't do in real life, but maybe a small part of me thinks, God, I'd feel good to do this, Susie does. So I guess the book's really my personal therapy. Uh, I I love that. Your shadow side, your alter ego. My shadow side, I like that. (laughs) Which leads me to this question, and I know you get it a lot, and we've even talked about it before, but how does a seemingly mild-mannered, although hilarious and witty, prep school English teacher transform himself into the creator of hard-boiled thrillers? Because I think it was a bit of a gradual transition from Shadow of the Lions. That was your first book, right? Yes. And because yeah. and, and to where we are now. So I want you to talk a bit about about that. Um, yeah, Shadow of the Lions is my first book. It's a coming of age boarding school mystery. I went to boarding school. Uh, so that's the that's the book that's probably closest to my own life experience, although my roommate didn't go missing uh, in boarding school like it is in that book. Um, my second book, which is actually the first book that Susie appears in, uh, was a bit darker and grittier, uh, crime thriller set here in Atlanta. And I just didn't want to do the same thing I'd done before. And I've told the story before, but Susie, uh, sort of like my books, Susie is a character who refused to do what I wanted her to do. I don't know if you've had that experience before yeah. writing. You're like, yeah. oh, I got the scene. This is going to happen. And it was a silly scene. They were, she's a girl and they're having dinner and she's eating. And in my head, she said, no. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you are. I'm the author. I created <laughs> you. She's like, fine. So I made her eat the peas, right? The scene died. It just died. Like when it, nothing worked. I'm like, what are words? I it couldn't withered just, away. Oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> And then, so in my, I said, fine, you can, and, and people think I'm insane when I say this, like, I'm not, in, I'm not envisioning her sitting here on the couch. I'm not actively hallucinating her. It's all in my head. Right. But she said, I said, fine, you can refuse to eat. And she said, thank you. And the scene went, I'm like, I got something, I got to follow this character around. So whenever I'm stuck in these kind of books where Susie is, uh, I just stop. Okay. What would, what would I do? And what's the opposite of that? And that's wow. probably what Susie would do. I love um, that. Yeah, it's like just that. a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of fun. And it's not any kind of sort of mystical. I'm not, you know, woo woo stuff. I'm not. Uh, it's just fun. Not, not, yeah. It's just fun. It's it's a yeah. it's a different it's a different way to have a story and a different character who is just completely outside of my comfort zone. And so it's a little bit of a high wire because I want to get her right. I didn't want to make her. I didn't want to make her a boy who happens to be a girl. You know what I mean? Like she's a guy, but I just say she, you know, her name's Susie. I wanted to make her a woman in a world where a lot of bad things happen to women. And she knows that and it pisses her off. And so that's sort of what she does. Now that attitude gets her in trouble. Yeah. But that's the fun part. 
That's great. Yeah, I love well, that. That's just such an excellent like segue into my question because, you know, Susie is just this like awesome character and she rides a Triumph Thruxton 1200 and is armed and dangerous with a boot knife and a collapsible baton and a Smith and Wesson <laughs> and a CC 75 pistol. Christy, I, I, I love how naturally that comes to you, Christy. I know. Well, I am. It seems like you're just describing yourself. I love it. Well, we didn't want to say anything, but Susie's actually based on me. I was <laughs> just going to say, who do you think I based this on, people? <laughs> yeah. Um, but who did you base this on? I mean, not not literally, but where did Susie come from? Like, where you know, what what is her origin? Like, how did you come it's up? Funny. With her? Uh, my agent was reading an early draft and said do you really want her riding a motorcycle? Cause she's going to come. Cause that's sort of close to the girl with a dragon tattoo, oh. which I'd read, but Elizabeth Salander was in a character of that book. That was, she wasn't anywhere near my mind when I was writing Susie. It was really more guy to, to you were talking about the eighties earlier to go back to the eighties. I was thinking more like Sigourney Weaver mm. and <laughs> aliens or um, Linda Hamilton and, uh, the Terminator movies. I mean, these were, they were women who were caught in really, really bad situations and were like, okay. And they kind of did what the boys did. And I know that was sort of a, uh, back then that was sort of a unique, I didn't know they could do that. Uh, and we're a little beyond that now, but I, I just, I didn't want to write the same kind of, I, I had told Ethan's story, her older brother's story and never turned back. And I left that open for a sequel. And as I was writing it, I thought, I'm not going to do it with him. I'm going to do it with Susie because I want to try from this point of view. And she's just, she's just badass, and she uh, kicks ass and takes names and takes mm -hmm. no prisoners. And so I think I did that. And I've got a lot of strong women in my life: my wife Kathy, my mother. Um, not that they're jumping on motorcycles and you know busting heads, but. Uh, that's, but they could that's, if they needed to. They, 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 they to. totally, oh, they totally could. I know Kathy um, could. I don't know your mom, but I know Kathy. So yeah, they, <laughs> they both totally could. Um, but no, it's just that's so. It's it's those those movies and just trying to, you know, I read a I read a whole lot of books, a lot of great crime fiction, and most of it's men yeah. and the stories of men. And what I like about doing this. Uh, this is stereotypical, but Ethan, her older brother, he's the one who's the teacher and has the house and the dog. And it's his little sister who's, you know, like getting on the motorcycle and go, yeah, instead of what you would maybe stereotypically yeah. think of as sort of the opposite. So I like playing with that. Love it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I like that a lot. We really want to know if you test drove that motorcycle. Uh, I, I, I hate to, I hate to admit it, but no, I, <laughs> yes. I wish yes. it is yet. Yeah. You know, yes. who knows? It, maybe, maybe somebody from triumph is watching this right now and be like, well, you know, if you want to come test drive and do a photo shoot, sure. Sign me so, up. Wear so that hat when you do I was going to say next time we, <laughs> we're the Indiana Jones hat. All right. Yeah, next nice. time we have you on Christopher, we'll, we'll expect the motorcycle helmet from that, from that motorcycle ride. Then. I know. I thought about the I'll motorcycle helmet this afternoon, but I don't oh, actually know anybody who rides a motorbike. So I couldn't get one. 
death traps. <laughs> I think I have like an astronaut helmet lying around here somewhere, which is somewhat not the for same my thing at all. Not the same thing. <laughs> So, Chris, the Atlanta metro area is so vividly portrayed in this novel, almost like a character unto itself. And I, I love it when novelists do that, use a setting as a character. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm always just such a big fan of that in writing. So you take your readers everywhere from Hartsfield Jackson International Airport to a suburban office park to a seamy Mexican gang hideout to a precarious climb up Stone Mountain. And you craft those details so well that we feel like we're riding shotgun alongside Susie. So I would love to hear why you decided to set the book in Atlanta, which I, I know you live in that area, but you know, I, I actually have a problem writing books set where I live. So I'd love to hear about that. Um, and, and what did you do to bring those locations so vividly alive that Atlanta really felt like a character in the novel? Atlanta's in, in you know, Mary Kay lives here. I know Patty, you've lived here before. It's it's a big, massive city that's really a whole bunch of different communities and neighborhoods mm -hmm. that are all jumbled together. You know, downtown is a nice sort of, the very small part of downtown is this nice grid of streets. And then if you're looking at a roadmap of Atlanta, it becomes spaghetti. The roads yeah. just go everywhere and the neighborhoods are, all, and, and they all have different characters and different histories and different pasts. Um, I mean, I'm in, I'm in Sandy Springs right now. I'm in, you know, northern suburbs of Atlanta, just inside the perimeter. Uh, if you go nine miles straight south of here, which is not all that far, you'll end up in the bluff and English Avenue and Vine City, uh, which is better now than it was when uh, 10, 15 years ago, which is when Susie had her first encounters there, her first uh, horrible experiences there. Uh, but I mean, back then that was basically sort of an open air heroin market. And that's an extreme. I mean, I'm in a nice tree-lined neighborhood here by Chastain Park, um, but you've got all these rich places in the city that are just sort of crying out to be used. And you you get somebody like Karen Slaughter, who you had on earlier, who writes stories set here uh, and captures Atlanta really well. I know she writes about things everywhere else too, but it's, I also, I haven't seen that many stories compared to someplace like, you know, Los Angeles or New York or even Miami. Sure. Uh, so I'm like, you know, this is, yeah. we kind of deserve, and yeah, there are a lot of great writers who write and stories set in Atlanta, but everybody seems to sort of gravitate to New York or LA. And I thought, no, I'm going to see what I can add here. And Stone Mountain scene at the end, that was, we went a family hike. Uh, we had never, I'd never climbed up Stone Mountain. I'd been to the park several times. We climbed up, um, I want to say a little over a year ago, year and a half. And it was foggy and people coming in and out of the fog. And I, I was like, I'm setting something here. I don't know what yet. Wow. Um, and pretty soon I was like, yeah, we're going to have that. It's going to have to be in Susie's book. And it was, it's a lot of fun and a, a real good cheat for writers. Yeah. Uh, if you don't want to get in your car and drive even five miles, uh, Google maps is yeah. awesome. You just you zoom in and you get paid and everyone takes pictures and it's all but it's like oh yeah. it's like being there so I I do that to make sure I get the details right yeah. so if people are there they're like yeah you could turn right here you could do that oh okay I like uh, that yeah that's the kind of yeah. stuff I always mess up because I have no sense what? of direction people I, write about it. I wrote a, a series set in Atlanta my first uh, eight books and um, one time I had. Um, Georgia 400 coming off of uh, 
85 or something. And my husband, you know, was reading it later and he goes, uh, you know, that, you, no, that isn't how that works. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for telling me now. That's okay. In a, I think in a arc, an un, uncorrected arc of uh, Never Go Home, there's a scene, there's, there's a backstory having to do with Iraq. Right. And the characters are talking about IEDs. And at one point, and a reader who got an arc messaged me and said, why do you have them talking about IUDs? Oh, and I'm like, oh no! I was like, I, and then I panicked, and I went to go find the hard copy, and I'm like, nope, I got it right. It, it got corrected. Thank oh God. My God. Um, oh my gosh. So yeah, that's that like a fun. slightly different, slightly just different, a little, right. just a little. You know, I, and I'm trying to, you know, I, I want to. If you're right, you want to do research. You want to fake like you know enough of what you know. Like I, I am not Susie Faulkner. I am not an FBI agent. I am not. Uh, really? A criminal mastermind, you know, or anything like that. But I've read enough and done enough research, and I've got a pretty vivid imagination where I can make it so, yeah, you can still create a world like right. that, and the reader can fill in the gaps and feel like they're right there. Right. Uh, the, what I do have control over, to go back to what you were asking a while ago, Kristen, is okay, the setting. I know that I live here, I can go to the place or look it up online. And those are the details I want to get right. So you do yeah, feel like awesome. you're there. So thank you for that. I work hard on that part. Yeah. Good. You do it well. Thank you. Um, like Susie's fictional brother, Evan, Chris, you teach high school literature. And there's yes. a funny exchange between the siblings in the book about, uh, is it Paradise Lost they're talking about? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I'm wondering if you have a favorite book that you teach and if, it, what you have learned from that as a writer. I mean, it must be, I mean, it's so it's been such a long time ago since I read the stuff. I took a lot of English classes, um, accelerated English classes in high school and read stuff. I, I read um, Lady Chatterley's Lover as a high school senior, but oh I'm wondering, God. I'm wondering if there's a favorite book that you teach. Um, I've taught Paradise Lost. Uh, I've taught Moby Dick. I've taught, uh, I like both of those, but I, I love, I love Shakespeare mm. and I teach Hamlet every year because I teach AP English and Hamlet just fits with that curriculum. Mm. Um, and they talk and about Hamlet in the book too, don't they? Or they talk about Shakespeare, right? They talk about Shakespeare and that comes yeah. up and, and, and I, because what I love about Shakespeare, you know, the, anytime you have this questions, like if you could have dinner with any three, you know, any three yeah. people from history, um, who, who would you, or you could talk to anybody from, and for me, it's always him, uh, because the man created words in the English language and phrases that we use today. We don't even realize they came from him. Um, yeah. he made English the modern language it is now. My students like, isn't this old English? I'm like, no, no, old English sounds like German. It's what way gardener That's, that's not Shakespeare, yeah. but but he was also like us. Uh, I'll, I'll take that. And I'll I'll put my ear there. Like us, we're trying to tell stories and get people to read them. He was writing plays. He wanted to get people's butts and seats to watch them. Yeah. And he did. He wrote melodramas. And they're yeah. excited. People are like, is anything happening here? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Let's open up Hamlet. And it opens up with a ghost. And there's a war going on around Denmark. <laughs> and the guards are all freaking out, getting their friend Horatio. What do you think this means? I don't know. We'll go find Hamlet. Meanwhile, Hamlet is Prince Emo over here and his 
<laughs> you know, his step his stepfather is like well, his step uncle King Father, which is what one of my students referred to him as. And I said, from forever on, that is how I'm going to describe I like him. That. Uncle, I like that. uncle King Father. He's his uncle, and now he's his stepfather. No, oh, by the way, he's king. Dad died two months ago. I've married your mom. We took care of all that. Everything's fine. Hamlet, why so sad? Cheer up. His mom's a cheer up. He's like, don't even. I hate you. And you're like, how can you not? I mean, he's a complete mess. And the whole play is him trying to kind of come to grips with that. And yeah, oh, by the way, when his dad's ghost is like, you have to avenge my murder. My dad. Um, right. And so that's yeah. Uh, Shakespeare, I always love. And Hamlet is a fun play to teach and have students go through. Did you read Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell? Yes, I love oh that. Oh gosh, that was one of that my That was gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Yes. That was, I, and I was, I'd heard wonderful things and I was worried. That was gorgeous. Right, about like, how is she going to pull this off? And my God, it was one of those things where, you know, hey, Dad, can I like, shh. <laughs> Just I, I love that. Yeah, it was. Yep. That was gorgeous. Chris, um, we love a good writing tip, especially from somebody who teaches literature for a living. Would you share a writing tip with our viewers tonight? Uh, the last, the last time I said, "Don't quit," which is still, I think, the most important thing. But uh, it's read. Yeah. Read widely. Um, read and read the kind of books that you want to write. Read other books. Yeah. Read books outside of your, you know, whatever genre you want to write in. If you want to, if you're trying to write a specific genre, but just read widely. A lot of people write a book and think um, this is amazing, and it may be. But then when they're trying to, you know, if they want to get it published, I feel like they've got to know. Okay, who. Who is whose book is this like? Uh, what are other people doing? Aside from that, I think if you want to take the, the salesmanship out of it and the marketing out of it, which is fine, see what other writers do. Yeah, you know, there are yeah. a lot of times you read other books, you're like, I could write better than this. All right, then yeah. go do it. Yeah, good point. Or that's amazing. How did yeah? How did how did she write Hamnet? Mm. How did she get that? I don't know. I do want that? to know. Yeah, right. Right. And so maybe, maybe I have to add her. I'd have her and Shakespeare. Uh, for yeah. my, my <laughs> um, so they could meet. Yeah. yeah. Could, she'd probably die. Um, die this like be transported, but no, that's, you just got to read, read widely, read what other people are doing. You will soak up uh, what other authors do. You will see things. You're like, okay, I don't want to do that. That's a great trick. That's an interesting way to tell the story. Uh, I'm not suggesting copy people, but no. just you learn. Yep. Right. I mean, I did. I read Pat Conroy stuff. It's like I want to be a writer. I knew I wanted to yeah. be a writer. I read Pat Conroy. I'm like that. That's what I want to do. That, right? that I'm thing. chasing that. And yeah. you know, I'm I ain't there yet, but uh, I'm yeah. I'm working on it. Okay, so we have a live question from a viewer named Kathy Farrell Swan. <laughs> I think I might know her. So she's wondering, and so are we. Two things, what you're working on next and what's up with your TikTok personality. <laughs> uh, I had a former, a, a former coworker who stumbled across a uh, TikTok video I made and said, how, and she posted it and she's like, how is it that this very nice guy I know who was my boss 
and cares about teaching kids and equitable grading. How is he, all caps, on TikTok? <laughs> um, and I have two teenage boys who are like, they're like, yeah, that video doesn't slap. That's not, <laughs> which, which by the way means it's not good. Um, <laughs> I found out. Uh, okay, what are you but, working on? But what am I working on? Um, uh, last week I turned in a draft to my editor for a sequel to uh, Never Gone. Third in the Faulkner Family oh my gosh, Thriller series, so starring Susie. Um, oh, awesome. So, yeah. So she, yeah, I'm not done with her, not awesome. by a long shot. As long yeah, as people well, want to read her. Yeah, you kind of left it open when she sort of gets on that motorbike and rides off into the sunset. Yeah, ah. that's what I was going for. So and it, and they uh, they and her liked the publisher liked it. And I said, sure, let's go for it. That's so awesome. that's awesome. Yeah, that should come out. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we get that next July. Thank God, a summer book, because when a book's come out now and I'm not complaining because I'm lucky as hell to have anything published. But when you teach high school and school starts yeah. in August and your book comes that's out, like, yeah. Now I have to leave to go on. It's yeah. So if I go, I'm free in the summer. So fingers crossed on that. It's a better, a better time. Uh, It's it's, yeah. Quickly, Chris, since you mentioned reading widely, is there anything on your nightstand? We would be surprised any book on your nightstand. We would be surprised to find there. Uh, You had any book. I I know. uh, I'm I'm still talking to Karen. You're like, no, it's it's Karen's letter PTSD. Exactly. (laughs) I'm actually, I'm, I'm reading um, her first Will Trent book. Uh, right now, I just I, I, I finished reading um, recently. I finished reading uh, Five December's by James Kestrel. It's a it's a noir crime story set in uh, 1941. Starts then in Honolulu, mm-hmm. and everybody knew knows what happened at the end of 1941 yeah. uh, in Hawaii. But and they know something's going to happen, but they don't know what. And so you have this crime noir thriller that suddenly becomes a war story. Oh. And it's also a love story. And it's beautiful writing. Um, and the characters, uh, main character still haunts me uh, in a good way. Uh, I'm going to be thinking about that book for a long time. So t- and t- tell, us, tell us the name of the book again. Five Decembers. Five James, Decembers. Okay. Yeah, James Kestrel. Okay, great. Great recommendation. Thank you. Okay, so Chris, if you wouldn't mind sticking around for a few more minutes, we have more to talk about. But first, a few reminders from us. Yeah, just a quick reminder of our Writer's Block podcast. We will always post links under announcements each time a new one drops, as Mary Kay Andrews likes to say. A new episode launches each Friday. So on the last episode, Ron and Mary Kay talked to Ellen Meister, author of Take My Husband, about writing with humor. So this week, Ron, and again, Mary Kay, she's been doing so many of these, it's awesome, will talk to author Claire Pooley about her touching and hilarious novel, Iona Iverson's Rules for Commuting. God, I've heard so many good things about yeah, that. It's really that. so good. And really Ron good. said the interview was just so oh, I can't wonderful. Wait. It's so awesome. Can't wait to hear it. Um, so I want to remind y'all about the Friends in Fiction official book club, and they are having a blast. And if you're not there, keep telling you, you're missing out. The group, which is a separate Facebook page run by our friends Lisa Harrison and Bredna Gardner, is now 13.8 thousand strong. That's amazing. 13.8 thousand members. 
So Brenda and Lisa, otherwise known as PB and J, choose the books and host the authors for monthly chats. Next month, they chose The Lost Book of Eleanor Dare by Kimberly Brock. And they have happy hours with our Writer's mm -hmm. Block podcast host, Ron Block. And they keep everyone in the loop about suggested reads. But tomorrow, tomorrow, Thursday, August 18th at 7 p.m., <laughs> We are all joining them for their two-year book club anniversary. So, nice. to the book club page. Join us at seven o'clock. We're all going to be there with our cocktails and our mocktails yeah. and stories. Um, so we'll see you tomorrow night. That's Yay. awesome. That's, that's awesome about Kimberly Brock. She's great. She's a friend, she and is, I've heard so yeah. many good things about that book. That's on my. That's on my short TBR. Yeah, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. And in case you haven't heard, Patty kind of mentioned it earlier, but our new Friends in Fiction first edition box is available now from Books Booktown in Manasquan, New Jersey. And it features signed hardback first editions of all four of our new 2023 books, plus an adorable Friends in Fiction tea towel that we were hoping to show you all tonight, but we'll definitely show you next week. Don't miss it. Um, it's so cute. That is awesome. And so speaking of 2023 and our 2023 books, we will be doing at least four Friends in Fiction live events next year. Yeah. One during during each of our book tours. We are so excited about this. Yeah, so stay cool. tuned for news about those four events so that you can mark your calendars and make your travel plans to join us as we take our show on the actual physical live and in-person road in April, May, June, and then again once in the fall to exotic locales such as Ohio and South Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go, let's bounce back to Chris. Chris, would you talk a little bit about the values around reading and writing in your family while you were growing up and how that shaped you as a writer? Oh yeah, my my mom says I learned how to read before I learned how to walk, which yeah. is not true, but she's my mom so she can say that. Yeah. Um and <laughs> My grandfather was an English teacher uh, before he went off to fight World War II. I didn't know that until much, much later. Um, before, after I'd already decided to become an English teacher, I didn't really realize that. Um, I, I grew up around books. Uh, I always had my nose in a book as a kid. Um, and that was a really big thing when I had kids. The funny thing about having is then my mom gave me all of my old kids' books, my children's books, you know, mine that she still had. So I was reading them to my children. And yeah. then you realize how some of them are kind of not appropriate. <laughs> like, like that bar. You're like, oh, it's the only turn the page. Of what happened to his mommy, daddy? I'm like, nothing. His mom's fine. She just left. Bambi's mom is fine, and, too. Bambi's yeah. mom is great. So a lot yeah. of moms that are okay that we just misunderstood. Exactly. Well, that's, it's right. basically, that's like Disney, right? It's like dead parents yeah. everywhere. Um, <laughs> all the stories. Yes. Uh, but reading has always been a big deal. I read the Harry Potter books to my kids. To my oldest son, I read all of them aloud and had to come up with voices. And I am not a trained voice Aww. actor. And then my youngest son was like, now, when are you going to read? Like, I literally had just finished reading the last one, <laughs> sobbing through parts of it because J.K. Rowling killed off people. And my youngest son's like, so are you going to read it to me now? I'm like, okay. <laughs> yes. And my older son's like, you're not doing, you're not doing Ron's voice right. I'm like, look, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm trying my best here, kid. You're 
Right. He's listening to mom reading to my younger son Sullivan and Whitaker's like, that's not how Ron sounds. I'm like, oi, shut up. Um, <laughs> so I just offended everybody in England right now with that terrible accent. Uh, but no. So books to me have always been important. Reading for my family. Uh, my Kathy reads a, like a book a day almost. Uh, it seems she reads she reads faster than I do. So, yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, Chris, we are out of time, but thanks so much for being on with us tonight and talking about Never Go Home. So, quickly tell folks where they can get. Never go home and where they can get signed because sign, there are signed copies at some stores, right? We get signed copies at Foxtail Bookshop. Yes. Perfect. And I'm going to be going, I'm going to be doing a few events going out on the road. And I'm hoping to get, you mentioned South Carolina. I'm working right. on, uh, I'm going to reschedule for an uh, event down in Litchfield. But, uh, right. yeah. where, can folks, where can folks find your um your tour schedule and where can they find you on the socials? ChristopherSwan.com is my website. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Swanee author. Uh, I wasn't sure if I wanted to keep now. Everyone's like, no, you can't, you can't lose that. You have to keep yeah. that. Um, and I'm on Instagram and yes, I'm on TikTok where I make silly videos about what it's like to be a writer and have all these different voices talking in your head. I so. can't wait to go follow. So thanks thank again you. for bringing us. Thank, thank you all so much for what you do and for having me on. I appreciate it. We have oh, fun. Thanks so much. Great. Good to see Bye. you. Good seeing y'all. Bye. Bye. Okay, everybody. Now, you know, you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. We're live there every week, just like we are on Facebook. And if you subscribe, you won't miss a thing. Be sure to come back right next, right here next week when we welcome broadcast journalist and Emmy award-winning talk show host turned novelist Tamron Hall. Don't forget, see you next Wednesday night. And hey, hang around. We're going to have a little bit of an after show tonight. Join us. Yeah. (laughs) See you in a second. That was fun. I I like him. I like him so much. He's just a nice. Yeah. He just exudes like decency, don't you think? Characters, it's yeah. Wild. Yeah. Now, this book is this book is very has a lot of cinematic um, possibilities to it. I thought. I mean, it really read like a yeah. like a you know a book that should be made immediately into a movie after they make all of ours into movies. Right after, after that, yes. Or simultaneously is okay. I mean, but just long, yeah. 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 is fine. So you got, Chris, are you still hanging around? Join us for the after show if you're still. I'm around. Hi. Y'all are so nice. Thank you. Hey, from your lips to Hollywood's ears. Right. I don't, you know, I'm Spielberg or Scorsese. I'm not, I'm not picky. You know, whoever. Either one would be fine. Really. Did you guys have any of y'all over the break? And then I want to hear what everybody read for summer reading. But did anybody watch that TV show, The Offer, about the making of the Godfather? No, I want to though. Not no. yet. Though. I don't even know no, you, when you said Scorsese. Like it's the behind the scenes of making these monster movies is so interesting. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. So maybe they'll make a TV series about making movies out of our books. Yeah, I, I assume. Awesome. I assume it's coming. It's a double yes. deck, I think, could be. It's a de- yeah. yeah, yeah. The yeah. book, the movie, and the TV show about making the movie about the book. And then there should probably be some sort of like, you know, movie about the 
creation of Friends of Fiction, too. Oh, I was just thinking, yeah. I'm, ca- I'm casting in my head. Yeah. <laughs> oh, who do you want to yeah. I'm not sharing, no. No, because I'm going to anger somebody or just like. I oh, I know who like, I want. Who do you want? Who do you want? Who? I want Stalker Channing. People always Ooh, tell me when I look at when I look kind of like Stalker Channing. And oh, since I like we, that. Since we've been talking a lot about Greece, Greece after um, yeah. Yeah. Olivia yeah. John, um, we lost her recently. So um, last week, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 Um, and of course, Patty's got to be play. Pat, well, no, I don't think I don't think Stevie Nicks is actually an actress, and she's too old now to play Patty. <laughs> that would have been a good one, though. Like that 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 would have been. Oh, I choose Diane Lane. That's okay, that's perfect. A good one. That's I was going to say Gwyneth Paltrow, but you're yeah, oh. Diane Lane's better. Oh, I like yeah. that one too. I just saw Chris Martin in concert. Coldplay. Oh, oh yeah, I saw you posted, but yeah. And he he used to be married to her and. I, y'all, I don't know if you're Coldplay fans or have ever uh-huh. seen. He is like nuclear energy. I've never wow, seen anyone awesome. like him on the stage. Wow. And and, and at Wembley Stadium on their own uh, their own turf oh, too. Wow. That's turf. awesome. Yeah. 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 Okay, Chris. Hi, who's Kristen. Playing you. Yeah. What's well, up? Who's gonna play Kristen? Uh, I'll take. Can I take Reese Witherspoon? Oh, I like that. Does yeah, that work? Absolutely. Okay. Christy, what do you got? You know, I asked the question, so I should have had an answer. <laughs> I think it would be good. Um, I, I'm going to say Blake Lively. I would like her to play. Oh, yeah, yeah, that works. That works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Chris. Who's going to play you? My daughter. It's crazy. Who's going to play me? Yeah. Um, one of my students once. They were, <laughs> they were laughing as uh, they were laughing on their computer, and I'm like, "What's going on?" You know, walked over and turned around. They had. A photo of me from the yearbook, and then a photo of Nicolas Cage right next to my head. And they're like, "Look at him!" Like, okay, yeah. he's a, he might be crazy, but sure, yeah. why not? How about Megan yeah. Sean? Yeah, Megan Sean. Well, uh, Sean's already said he wants Elijah Wood to play him. That's yeah. fair. That's that fair. makes good. That's good. Yeah. Does Sean? Do you see, Sean, do you see dead people? Didn't Elijah Wood play the the little boy in that movie? No, so. that was um uh, that, that was Haley Joel Osment. Haley Joel, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, never mind. Yeah, I, was, I, I, that I was just a random, random useless bit of trivia. But she, she just so. she just wanted to know. She wants Sean, to know though, Sean. Do you? Do you? That's an important question. We're all going to be asking that again. Meg, who do you think? Yeah, yeah Meg. Who's going to play you? Well, who can play Meg? Somebody. You know what? Meg will play Meg. Meg oh. will play Meg. But on, oh, I, that's I, okay. Yeah, oh, Meg, Meg will do. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who's everybody excited about having on the show? I mean, we're excited about everybody we're going to have on the oh, show this yeah. fall. Oh, it's going to be so great. Um, I'm really excited about Tamron mm-hmm. Hall next week. I think, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, uh, you know, I think we spend so much time talking to authors who's primary job is to write books or do things related to writing, right? Yeah. I think it's just going to be a different ball game to talk to someone who's so accustomed to being in front of the camera. And and that's her primary job. Um, but sure. just digging, digging into a little bit of the research about her and about this book, mm-hmm. it's about these murders and it's coming what? from this really personal place, like her sister yeah. 
her sister was was murdered, oh, um, wow. which is so interesting. And she used to be oh, a journalist oh. covering murders. I mean, there's just so yeah. much to talk to her about. So I'm actually yeah. super psyched about next week. <laughs> and I feel like I'm excited about everything because the two weeks yeah. off has me like, okay, I want to read every single I know. Yeah, y'all, we have stacks yeah. of books. Books are coming, it's, you know, two a day sometimes. It's unbelievable. Like, I can't even, like, open my mail. Like, I'm like, yeah. oh, my, I need to, like, sit down tomorrow. And, like, it's it's the it's best. It's so week. exciting. We're gonna, I, was, I was packing up copies of my books to send to you guys before the show and and, and a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and I'm like, oh, this will be not, you know, it's not. And I thought, how many books do they get no, every day? You know what? Okay. It's funny that you said We're that. We're so though. excited every time. Yeah. We're so excited every time. But also I was so excited when I opened yours because you had signed them. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, no. yeah. So yeah. Chris, no, no, nobody ever signs them. We just get them from like a publicist. Are you serious? So, yeah. yeah. So I, I had the same thought. I was like, oh my God, he signed it. It's actually for me. I was like, yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, please. We get excited about every single book, no matter how many yeah. come through that door. Yeah. Meg has Good. has chimed in that she wants to be played by Lauren Graham. Yeah. Uh, ding, yeah. ding, 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 ding. That's a winner. Yeah. Yeah. I love her so much that like there just aren't even words. So I'd be really excited. Like we should that. have her you on know, the show. We, you need to get on Yeah, that. we've got so many um, big authors coming in and yeah. authors who um, are hitting the bestseller list yeah. and um, that there's a lot of buzz around. And, and Your fall um, lineup's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I know a lot of them and I'm like, I don't know enough about that one. I want to go, I want to go watch yeah. the show and learn. I know. It's yeah. like yeah. when I every I read in bed at night, and every night it's like, um, okay, what am I what am I gonna start now? And so yeah. um and we all I don't know if everybody out there knows, we take turns hosting the show. We can't all read every book, uh, or we'd never write our own books. So whoever's hosting definitely reads that you know the guest yeah. books and then the rest of us skim or do whatever we can but there's so many it's like maybe i just won't write next year's book maybe i'll just read it. <laughs> just nothing yeah. Yeah. which is tempting yeah. i have to say you know I, i've got to say that talking about our fall schedule it, it's it's interesting because i feel like we all just kind of throw out these this wish list of people we would love to have on and people we would love to talk to right and then it's meg meg walker who who takes mm. all of that Me, lauren graham Lauren Graham played played by Meg Walker in this More version. Um, who just oh. takes she's just she's magic. Like she not only reaches out to the people, but she finds a way to make it all fit at exactly the right time. And then like voila, there's our schedule. I mean, she's awesome. I don't even know. Meg, Meg is incredible and We're looking to at have her. All, yeah. it, makes it's it work. Like a work a work of art, this fall schedule, and, and it's all Meg, honestly. Yeah. All right. Speaking of writing, I have to get off and uh, I have a September 15th uh, drop dead deadline. So I got to get off because I haven't finished all my words for today. Oh, oh you guys are oh, awesome. Gosh, really? Okay, I just need to say one more thing. If um, Lauren Graham is going to play Meg, then I would like to change my answer because I would like for Lauren and Alexis Bledel to be reunited. So maybe she could dye her hair and play me. Now I just got to figure out who's going to play Susie in, in the film version of, well, the Netflix series. Right. Yeah. Of mine. Um, Who do you think? Do you have anyone in mind? I, somebody asked me that earlier and I completely blanked. I, I'm, I, I never uh, know. I never right. know. Right. Yeah. Okay, I get Meg, it wrong. Meg says she's I'll got to Hamilton, but she's too old now. Meg's got to um, FaceTime the new college freshman. So, um, all right. Good night, you guys. Love you madly. Good night, y'all. Good seeing y'all. Thank you so much. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye,
Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.